0: Hello and welcome back. I'm Eric Sunset, your host of the Doc Buddy Journal, and we're recording this episode today on Monday, June 12th, 2023. And we've got a really special episode for you today. We are joined by Candace Levy, who is VP of Product and Clinical Systems at AptiHealth. And if you're not already familiar, AptiHealth connects people to integrated behavioral healthcare for results that matter. Candace, thanks for spending a little time with us.
1: Thanks, Eric. Thanks for inviting me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure, and, and hopefully, I did apti health justice with the read in. But people people will be here for you, so why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself?
1: Sure. So I've been at Apti Health um, relatively new here, but since February of this year, um, prior to Apti Health, I spent about 13 years at Bluestone Physician Services, where we were actually um, a DocBuddy customer.
0: That's right. That's right. So you've got a whole wealth of clinical experience and clinical knowledge, you know, hard earned too, might I add, Um, uh, having had to execute on plans for physician workflows and making sure that all of your providers are happy. And I think that's where we really wanted to focus our our conversation today. So I know all of the DocBuddy team is really excited to have a familiar uh, name and a former customer on the pod with us so that we can get your perspective on the impact that good physician workflows can have so our our regular listeners will have heard us discuss uh some of the problems around physician burnout how some of that is technology driven and uh, you know when you and i spoke earlier some of it being driven by technology maybe is a little bit of an understatement so let's let's go right at it It's, it's it's really no secret let's call a spade a spade it's no secret that legacy EHRs are one of the primary drivers of physician burnout. Why do you think that is? What have you seen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the the legacy EHRs out there that have really been built for acute-based care where you go in, you see a patient, you chart a note, and then maybe a year later, you see that patient again and chart another note. They don't really take into consideration that holistic longitudinal care view. Uh, And I think that that is a big driver of of physician burnout. I think they end up creating a lot of workarounds to make the platform work for them. Uh, You know, EHRs weren't originally built to be interoperable with one another. So constantly having to log into multiple different systems to try to find all of the information to put a patient's story together can cause a lot of burnout as well.
0: Yeah, and it, uh, for, for our listeners that uh, can make the inference there, you, you mentioned longitudinal care, and that is a stark difference from the more acute-cased, episodic-type care. So if you had to explain that like to a five-year-old, how would you describe longitudinal care?
1: Yeah, I think of longitudinal care as really taking the person as a whole and looking at what a long-term care plan would look like for that person. So looking at, you know, what's happened historically with that patient to get them where they are today. And then what are we going to do to, to create a, a care path or a journey for them going forward in order to really optimize their care?
0: Sure. And you mentioned another, another aspect, interoperability between softwares and between health systems and even provider to provider, it is a crying shame that when the High Tech Act was rolled out, that was one of the the stated goals. We want to have an interoperable health system. We've, you know, we've missed that mark so far. And there's a lot of good organizations doing really great work, but broad interoperability, you know, when you think about it in 21st century terms, how something like an Amazon works, it just does. You're a prime member. You get your shipments quickly. Or how social media works, where promises made or promises kept to some extent. Uh, so that interoperability piece is is a fairly big miss. And again, don't want to diminish any of the work being done by folks like at Commonwealth or SureScripts National Record Locator. But what are what are some of the other areas uh, where EHR vendors have kind of missed the mark in, in your experience?
1: Yeah, I think that when it comes to interoperability, um, you know, the the ability to share data between the systems is one piece of interoperability, but I think the other piece that's really been missed is is the usability of the data when it comes back to a provider and how it's displayed to the provider when they're seeing a patient in a way that's beneficial and useful and can help them uh, make medical decisions based on you know what's happened to this patient in other health systems. Um, so I think there's that usability aspect and and just the the way the information is gathered and then the way it's presented to a provider.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you hear some of the complaints around EHRs being too many windows, too many things to click, too much time spent in it. You know, as you think back to your time in a in a more clinical setting does that ring true? I mean, that, that's what the reports and the surveys say. I don't work in a physician office, so I, I wouldn't know, but what has your experience been there?
1: Yeah, you know, the, this is something that um, that I liked to talk about too with Commonwealth and Care Equality. I was on the, the Provider Advisory Council with Commonwealth for a few years, um, and it really does come down to that that, uh, you know, having the information is one thing, but being able to actually put it together into this holistic view of the patient and knowing what happened and when and and showing the right information to a provider so that they don't have to go click around and try to to piece together what's really going on um, to get that that view of the whole patient. And then how does this drive what I'm going to do next with this patient? I think those are a lot of the conversations we had at at Bluestone and we're starting to have at Apti Health as well as just how do you really make the, the information work for the provider in a way that um, that can actually drive clinical outcomes?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the whole basis for the healthcare system, right? It's keeping healthy people healthy and, and treating those that need treatment. So, not to make this the uh, the rag on all legacy EHR vendor hours, we we should you know do right by the high tech act to the extent we can, and do right by the uh, the legacy EHR crowd to the extent we can. That without the big push, you know, going on a decade plus ago, I think it was two thousand nine that that. That bill was signed into law and please followed shortly thereafter. You did, you did end up with some good outcomes, even though we've kind of missed the mark so far on interoperability as a, as a country. You do end up with some improved quality and safety for patients. I mean, think about uh, your deprescribing module, drug to drug, drug to allergy checks don't happen if that's not software. So that's a good thing. You get a data foundation for healthcare informatics to use, which is also a plus, plus and then hopefully and i want to i want to draw on your experience here as well Candace hopefully you're getting improved patient communication through things like patient portals or other technologies maybe that exist outside of the EHR is that a fair statement to make
1: yeah i would say it is and that's actually one thing that i would that i would say one of our big wins at Bluestone was is um is being able to connect our EHR to those outside communication portals so that a provider could log in, see a patient, and while that patient is in front of them, they could see a view of what's gone on since the last time they saw them. So they didn't have to go log into another platform to see all of the messaging with home health or with hospice um, and being able to really see that whole story um, since since the patient's last visit and then utilize that as a part of their, their clinical decision making on that day.
0: Oh, that's huge, because again, to go back to some of the the complaints you see in, in broad surveys around physician EHR use, it's having to go outside of one system into another to find out what's actually going on.
1: Yes, it's so true. And there's so many different systems. And until we can get them all talking to one another, you know, we'll continue to see these administrative tasks really burning providers out.
0: Yeah. Yep, that's uh, that's just a statement of facts at this point. On the other hand, though, there are some occasions, and I'm hoping you can, you can educate not only me, but our listeners here, there are some occasions where that more, what a physician would describe as administrative data capture. You know, I was a doctor and then I got turned into a, a record keeper uh, type of statement where that data capture is actually worth it. Have you seen any benefit to exceptionally thorough data capture
1: Yeah, I I can think of several different situations where you would think of of a capturing a piece of data as very much an administrative task, but it has a really profound downstream effect. So capturing data around patient consent, consent for for interoperability, consent for immunizations, consent for a, B, C, or D. Um, and being able to report on structured data like that can really improve the patient's experience. Um, additionally, the use of, you know, task management within an EHR platform, so a provider entering data around referral requirements and prior offs um, can better help clinics and, and and the providers themselves really do some resource planning around okay if we're we're capturing this many referrals a a year then we may need to think about adding additional support staff around referral management or or medical records um management so being able to capture some of that administrative data can really help drive um you know resource planning it can help drive patient care capturing things like Legal names versus preferred names can help improve revenue cycle, Um, and then being able to capture data that a provider maybe would want to to flag themselves. You know, if if I capture this, then it will trigger a flag at the top of the EHR, so a provider knows we have a healthcare POA involved in this patient's care. I know who to reach out to. I think there's a lot of really good use cases for some of that administrative data data capture.
0: Well, and you, you mentioned one of my very favorite thoughts, and that's downstream effects, where you do one thing, either with the expectation that something else will happen at some point in the future, or maybe it's unintended. You can have both good and bad downstream effects, obviously. But really, the from what I've seen and in my experience, uh, listeners will know about my time spent in EHR land as well as revenue cycle land that what you're doing is really twofold with an EHR. First and foremost, you want to provide an excellent health outcome for your patients, whatever that is. And then secondarily, to operate a business, you obviously need to um, be reimbursed and generate revenue. So with, with EHRs, and you mentioned really solid data capture impacting revenue cycle, I would imagine that... Uh, really savvy providers are looking at those markers they're considering downstream effects that hey if i you know if I take the easy way out and I don't capture like a patient's legal name or don't confirm a patient's legal name or whatever it is, you know this hurts me in my wallet or on the business's p n l at some point in the future.
1: yes, yep, absolutely, and I think we're seeing a lot of that across um you know any of the systems I've worked in is is the better data capture you can get up front and being able to check things like eligibility to make sure that the provider is seeing a patient that they're credentialed with the health plan to see, you know, can have a a really huge impact on the business later. If you have a provider who's seeing, you know, 10 10 patients in a day with a a health plan that they're not yet credentialed with, you can run into all kinds of other operational issues too. So um, I think that's just one example, but I think there are, are many out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, treat, treating patients on a plan with which you're not contracted, that's uh, not a situation you want to be in, although I know it does happen.
1: Right. Exactly. And and that's where that that upstream data capture com- comes in and being able to alert a provider to say, hey, you know, this patient may be self-signed up for a visit with you. Uh, they have a health plan that you're not credentialed with. And then having workflows around transitioning that patient over to a new provider. You know, there there are lots of different workflows that can happen there. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of them are not yet automated, but those are some of the things we're hoping to fix.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As a, as a point of interest, what would you rank as some of the the top pieces of a workflow, whether it's strictly clinical, whether it's strictly administrative or billing or a blend of the two, what would you put on your hit list for the most important? Uh, manual processes to address with automation.
1: I think that there's a lot of form capture that happens, particularly in uh, with Apti Health because we're practicing in New York. There are some really specific regulatory uh, requirements around capturing specific consent forms for the state HIE medication management for patients on controlled substances, and making sure that we have those medication management in, agreements in place, those controlled substance agreements in place. I think that there's a lot of use case there to automate some of that that form capture that right now really falls on providers. It falls on support staff. Um, and I think there's a lot of uh, room for improvement around workflows there.
0: Well, thanks for your thoughts on that. And, and speaking of workflows, you know, when you when you dive deep into the data and you look at the surveys, we've referenced those a few times, I know. So I feel a little bit like a broken record to bring them up again. But one of the biggest uh, pain points physicians report is that when they turn off the lights to their practice and lock the door and go home, they're not done. They're not done documenting uh, to be specific. A term gets thrown around around pajama time charting. Now, because you have worked and been so close to it, I want your take on this. Is is pajama time charting self-inflicted by physicians that either uh, view the EHR as not worth their time in the practice, where they can just catch up on it later, or is it the nature of the beast? Is it unavoidable that providers have charting that needs to be done when they're not in their practice?
1: I think that we could talk about this for a really long time, probably. Um, but I do think that there's an aspect of the nature of the beast here, because, you know, if I sit in a meeting with a with a group of 30 people or in a meeting with a group of, you know, me and one other person, if I have a notebook in front of me and I'm writing down notes on a piece of paper, I can still capture that personal uh, feeling of being involved in the conversation. But as soon as you put a laptop in front of a provider, or if I pull a laptop in a meeting and I start taking notes electronically, it gives a very different psychological effect to the the other person in the room. And I think that that probably is a huge driver behind this pajama time charting, because most providers don't want to sit in front of a laptop when they have a patient in front of them. So there's just not a good way with our current system and our our current EHR platforms that allow a provider to really really chart a note while the patient's in the room without taking away that personal touch. So I think, um, like I said before, we could talk about this for a very long time, but I think that that is one piece of it
0: yeah, and that's that's a really that's a really interesting and nuanced take. And on the uh, coming from the traditional EHR side, the perspective was always something along the lines of, if you are proficient in the use of our software, there's no reason that you should be uh, spending time outside of the practice using it. But you raise a really interesting point that it's it's good customer service or good patient service to not have the laptop open lit up and you're clicking and typing while somebody is trying to talk to you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's natural for most providers to want to be able to just have a conversation and maybe document on a piece of paper. That's where we started, right? Um, unfortunately, that that doesn't work in today's world. And I think that there's a lot of room for improvement and a lot of um, space for innovation there on ways that we can improve that process without taking away that personal touch.
0: Sure. Yeah. I know, I know you're right about that. I don't just think that you're right about that. So we're, we've got another topic lined up, which we'll get to in just a second. The, the big capstone piece to this though, what do you think would have to happen for physicians to generally love their EHR and we're not we're not worried about the outliers who just aren't gonna like something no matter what it is. But in general, what do you think would happen it would take to get to that place?
1: I think it will take a lot to get to that place. And I think uh, part of it is being able to take that administrative work off of the providers so they can focus on taking care of patients, which is what they were trained to do. It's what they went to school for. And I think being able to optimize and improve our interoperability across platforms so a provider can go in and see a patient, can look in their chart and know that they have all of the information that they need in order to make medical decisions for those patients and being able to prescribe the right medications by knowing what has or hasn't worked in the past. I think that um, being able to have triggers within a system that really flag patient safety concerns, so providers know that they're thinking about all of the different um, potential areas of risk for a patient when they're making those medical decisions. I think that it's a lot around, in my opinion, interoperability and and the workflows around those administrative tasks that that would really help move us in the right direction.
0: Well put. And as far as I'm concerned, there's there's no one better to speak to it than you, just b- based on your depth and breadth of experience in the clinical setting. And to that point, what, what's a hot topic in the news now is is AI and healthcare. And sometimes that term gets thrown around willy-nilly. It's AI, it's AI, it's AI. But what you really need is just good workflows, good if-then statements. So I'm a little bearish on uh, on just generalizing AI into healthcare, but want to hear your thoughts too. What do you think when you see a press release that EHRs now have something like ChatGPT embedded in them?
1: Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I I'm really still on the fence a bit about it about AI in an EHR. And I think it really depends on what it's being used for. If we're using AI to help automate tasks or maybe automate patient outreach to make sure that we're providing them with an experience that, you know, they know we haven't forgotten about them in in their journey of care. Or, you know, I think that there are are areas that we could really focus on utilizing AI to improve workflows um, and to reduce burden on providers. But then I think that there are other areas that are really, you know, could cross the line when it comes to interpretation of labs and imaging and a patient's whole being, I think there there are some areas there of concern that I don't think we're quite quite ready for. Uh, and I also think immediately about the regulation around around AI or lack thereof. And if we're implementing AI or something like chat GPT into an EHR, you know who's overseeing it. Um, I think there's this whole new set of administrative burden to make sure we're following our internal policies and that somebody's really monitoring and making sure that what's coming out of these AIs are being reviewed and controlled in some in some way.
0: That's what I. The point I keep hanging up on is that you have potential. And I agree with you. I think it's too early to really know what we're what we're really talking about here. You've only got a handful of states and literally a handful, I believe it's five, that have stepped up with some form of consumer protection around uh, the use of AI in, in a business, not healthcare specifically, but just general consumer protections around AI. You may have something that can ease physician workflow to some extent, some unknown extent at this point, but I think you're worsening it By three or four fold on the back end, because to use these tools correctly, like the state of practice, you're not guaranteed a a perfect output. So you may generate something with the click of a button, but then who's going to go back and read it? Well, if it's the physician's name on the chart, it's them. They need to be sure that their charts are correct. How do you see it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it it provides a, a way for a provider to potentially ease the burden by not reviewing it, right? So unless there's something in place that really helps control that and require that, you know, that what's being documented or charted as being actually looked at by a person and approved, um, there's some real risk there.
0: Undoubtedly. And where where I'm glad to see some, uh, some strides being made. This was in the news last week that NYU unleashed their NYU Tron uh, large language model. So it's something that's like ChatGPT. It's a, it's a predictive tool. They were able to predict a number of uh, parameters around uh, mortality, outcomes, likelihood to be uh, readmitted to the hospital in some period of time. That to me makes a lot more sense than using it to generate documentation inside of an EHR. And obviously, the, the next question to those uh, predictions is, what are you going to do with them? Like, can you act on them? Or do you just know that this is going to happen at a certain rate now? That's where I hope AI and healthcare goes. That seems to be the most reasonable application right now.
1: Yeah, I would ag- I would agree with you. I think, I think having AI being a part of charting a note can cause... To what we were talking about earlier, you know, downstream effects of patient safety concerns, um, mismanagement of medications, things like that. I think that there there are better use cases, to your point, um, than, than embedding them in an EHR and helping providers chart their notes easier and faster. I think that there are other tools we could use to improve that workflow.
0: I'm with you. And this is very tongue in cheek. But if I heard that my primary care physician was going to generate my note with uh, chat GPT, I'd offer to write it myself. It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll draw it up. You, I'll, you put it in my chart. It's no problem. We'll pass.
1: Right. I'm with you on that one.
0: <laughs> well, Candice, I have really enjoyed getting to talk to you about uh, about physician burnout, provider workflows, a little bit on AI and healthcare. Will you, will you spend a minute and, and share what you're working on now at APTI Health?
1: Yeah, so at Apti Health we're actually uh we are developing a platform that is used for telehealth um mental health the, uh behavioral health therapy, medication management. Um a lot of really great work happening. We're building a product that is going to be best in class and um really exciting things happening that that I'm sure we'll be able to talk about more at a future date, but we are we are developing some really cool tools right now um, to really focus on that provider and patient experience first, um, more so than the regulations around the EHR, which you know we're focused on too, but really focusing first on provider experience.
0: That's huge and what a you're a consummate podcast professional to tease us with some announcements we can't hear just yet <laughs> So where, where can people find out more about Apti Health? Where can they connect with you? Are you big on any social medias? Where can folks uh, get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I can be, um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm an active member with HIMSS. Um, otherwise, you can go to aptihealth.com to learn more about the organization and some of the work that we're doing in the community is, in New York. Yeah.
0: That is aptihealth.com, right? Yes. Wonderful. Any other thoughts for listeners of the Doc Buddy Journal, Candace?
1: Well, I think it's just great that you're doing these podcasts. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate being involved. Um, having been a former customer of DocBuddy, Buddy, I think the work that you guys are doing is really great too. So, um, I hope that you know everyone takes the opportunity to get to know your your product and the really cool things that you guys are doing too.
0: Oh, that is so nice of you to say, and even nicer of you to carve out, you know, some time from your very busy week to uh, to be a part of the Doc Buddy Journal. So, thank you so much.
1: Great, thanks, Eric.
0: And with that, we can put a bow on this one. Thank you for listening to the Doc Buddy Journal. To learn more about DocBuddy Buddy and our solutions, visit docbuddy.com. And as always, be sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, so you can always get the newest episodes of the Doc Buddy Journal. Until next time, I'm your host, Eric. Talk to you again soon.